0: You know, it's interesting when you start thinking through doing something on Mother's Day, uh, at least as a pastor, and there's all kinds of routes you could take. You could go the sweet and sappy route, you know, and just make everything positive and rosy and easy and just make it celebratory and that's all. But if there's anything I know as somebody that's watched motherhood for a long period of time, I know that motherhood isn't that clean or simple or easy, nice and tidy, right? So uh, Ellie and I, we've been married for 32 years, and of the 32 years, I have been able to be a front row witness to motherhood for 26 of those years, or almost 26. And uh, watching that is a pretty amazing journey, right? Because what you're really witnessing is, uh, certainly at least for me as a father, is something that I don't fully grasp, you know? Like, like, being a parent is important to me, and I want to give my all to it, but but I have found watching Ellie that, that there's an investment that just has a deeper layer, a deeper gearing. It's like from day one when she told me we were going to start a family and have a child and everything else, she shifted modes, you know? And she went to this real deep place where there's this investment where you're taking all of your life, all of your experiences, all of your emotion, and you're pouring it into the life Of another, right? It's like you're putting it all on the line, leaving it all on the field, and saying everything I do is to impart life to this little life, so this little life can grow up into a big life, and hopefully hopefully replicate the process, and do it all for the good of the world, and the glory of God, and through the grace of Jesus. Like, all of that is there, and parenthood. And especially for moms, I look at that and I go, man, there is no greater calling, no greater potential to shape the world than what a mother does, and at the same time, perhaps no greater burden. Authentically, sincerely, there's something when you are pouring your life into another that it both gives to you and takes from you simultaneously. And as I was thinking about today and what to do, I thought, that's really where I want to approach this. Because I think for a mother, it's a little bit like those, those like dark chocolate, caramel, salted things you can get from Costco. That's motherhood, right? Where it's bitter, and it's sweet, and it's salty all at the same time. And that's kind of the strangeness of it, right? So like on a day like today, it's like, oh, it's such a blessing to be a mom. If it were that way 365 days a year, though, right? It's not always that way. Sometimes it's painful, it hurts. It's hard. And that's the honest journey that I want to acknowledge today. That that's the journey God takes every mother on. It's a journey of grace and sacrifice and love and learning and pain and growth and tolerance. All of that gets rolled into one. Just crying out to God sometimes and other times thanking God for all that he's given and done. That is the mix of the messiness of motherhood. And that is what, again, I want to remember today. Now, I know for some of you, um, you're like, "Uh, here's the news, bro. I'm not a mom, right? I go, right. Many of us in this room are not moms. Watching online, we're not moms. But guess what? We all have moms. Some of us aspire to be moms. We have a friend that's a mom, right? So even though we're going to go on a journey about a mom today, and we're going to learn some things about uh, the life of a mom, and the suffering of a mom, and the challenge of a mom, and relying on God as a mom, like as we go through that journey, this applies to all of us, actually, as we read the story that we're going to read today. And so it's a weird story. It's probably a story where you're going to be like, really, that's the one you picked for Mother's Day? Yes, you're welcome in advance. So, so with that, I want to give us a moment, all of us, to settle, to reflect, to pray for a moment to ourselves silently, and I'll go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into the story of the day. So let's go ahead and do this together. Jesus, I know we all come this morning in different places, different layers of life, different emotions or feelings right now on life, parenthood, children, whatever it is, right? We all come with different things, but we come before you, and I I pray that we will feel a rest from you today. I pray that we will sense a presence from you today. I pray that we will have a sense of joy that is in you, even if life isn't always so friendly or neat and tidy. May you show us tremendous grace. May we learn a beautiful lesson about hard things in life. And that from that, we will be more emboldened, more sure, more confident, even when things are challenging. Jesus, I also thank you for moms. It is an unsung duty, right? So often, day in, day out, it isn't thank you, mom, for this, and thank you, mom, for that. And man, you are the biggest blessing God ever gave. Sometimes moms don't hear that, feel that. But I pray that they would sense that from you. I pray that they would feel your celebration over their lives, and from that they would have great rest. And so Jesus, we look to you in your grace to teach and show and guide us today. In your good name, amen. So, when you leaf through the Bible, um, there are a number of mothers that you come across that you could probably uh, use a Sunday morning to teach on, right? So, you could look at, like, the prayerful faithfulness of Hannah and kind of camp there, and we've done that before. She's a wonderful mother to look at. Or you could look at the wise and practical mother of King Lemuel, where we get Proverbs 31 from. She had a lot of insight, and she shares that with her king son, You can think about the trusting and faithful actions of Moses' mom as she just says, you know what? I can't control your future, so I will put you in a small boat. I will send you down the river, and I will trust God with your life and what your heritage will be all about. We could look at her, or we could even look at Mary, right? The obedient and contemplative spirit of Mary as she is the mother of the Son of God. Those are all wonderful moms to look at. But I think sometimes when you read through the Bible, you also come across some really messy moms, in fact you don't have to go far if you just start on the very first page within about a page to a page and a half you're going to come across the very first mom she has two sons and one of the sons murders the other son and by the end the mother is left with the son dead and the son that is a fugitive on the run and she never sees him again that's your first mom Or you might look at other mothers. For example, you would look at Bathsheba. And here's this woman that is basically in a power struggle with the king. The king says, I want to have a sexual relationship with you even though you're married. And she can't say no because the power hierarchy is so out of balance. She just has no choice but to go with this. From this, she gets pregnant. Her husband is murdered. And she loses the child in the first week of its life. That is a messy, tragic motherhood story. Or I think about the story of Rebecca. She has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And when you look at the story of her two sons, frankly, Jacob is the worst of the two. And she favors him. She plays favorites with her boys. Even though Jacob is a lying, thieving scoundrel, she favors him over her other son, Esau. And from that, they have a lifelong rivalry that doesn't get repaired to the very end of their story. That's a messy mom story. And there's a lot of moms like that in the Bible that have messy stories, right? But today I wanted to look at one that captures the real essence and the challenge of what it means to engage in motherhood. And at the same time, something that shows the heart of God as it relates to a mom that's going through a hard season of life and faces all sorts of uncertainties and all sorts of unfairness and how that's navigated with God, even though life may not be right or fair or easy in the process. And so we find this particular woman in the very first piece of literature of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 16. And her name is Hagar. Not a typical Mother's Day message, but it's an important one for us maybe to learn from and some beautiful stuff we'll see at the end. But I'm gonna warn you in advance, it's a rough ride. It's a rough ride. If you get in the sandals of Hagar for just a minute, and and really feel what the story is, you're gonna see the blessing at the end and why it's so potent. So here's what you have to understand. In the ancient world, the world was not very fair to women. Like by all accounts, the way we live today where you have the right to vote and you have your right to autonomy and you have protections that are afforded to you as a woman. In the ancient world, there was none of that right? It's a patriarchal system. The man's in charge. And and the, the further you are down in the social order of women, the worse it's going to be for you. And when we look at her life, what we find is that Hannah is the slave girl to a couple. This elderly couple that we know eventually as Abraham and Sarah. At this point in the story, they're Abram and Sarai, and they have this slave girl named Hagar. And as best as we can figure, Hagar is not married. She has no children. But in that world, she also has no rights, no freedoms, no worth, and no independence whatsoever. She is a product. She is property of this couple. Property of the man, and then is controlled, in essence, by the woman. And so her story then starts in Genesis 16, verse 1. It says, Now Sarai... Abram's wife, or Abram at this point, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now here's a little bias I have, so I'm gonna be open with you. Sometimes I get frustrated at how we read the Bible because we'll read that story and our read through the Bible in a year, we're like, oh, that event happened, moving on. You should stop there and be horrified by the first couple of verses. You should be tragically horrified by that story right there. That's the handmaid's tale. If you've ever read the book, seen the movie, watched the show, that's exactly where that storyline comes from. It comes from this story, right? So Abram, or Abraham, kind of as he goes on, is like the commander in Handmaid's Tale. He's Fred, And Sarai is Serena Joy. She wants a baby, she can't have it, so she's gonna use a slave girl Uh, that's like June in the story of The Handmaid's Tale. She's kind of like of Fred here, right? So this whole thing is tragic because this is a felony in today's world. This is a sexual assault in today's world, right? This heritage of our faith, this father of our faith, we want to keep this in reality. We want to realize the human pain of the story. So, what you have here is that this child is not going to be conceived in love. This child is not going to be conceived, even with Hagar being like, This is a great idea. I'm all in on this. this let's all do this as a team. No, she's just being required to do this. She's being forced to do this. This is not an act of her volition. This is not a planned pregnancy in her life. She is being exploited and assaulted by this couple. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? And I think about this, especially that for Hagar, she's thinking, is a woman too. Like, isn't there this solidarity of women anywhere? Wouldn't she be looking out for me? And said, She's willing to exploit me for what she wants to gain. And so this whole thing gets spun up. And then you get to verse two. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Okay. Right? Like, here's the thing, guys. If your wife comes to you and says, Have sex with the maid so I can have a baby, the answer is no. Right? It's no. It's like Admiral Akbar in Star Wars it's a trap. It's a trap. You're going to regret this in the end. But he's like, okay, whatever you say, honey, I guess I'll do this. All right, let's go on. Verse 3. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. So this is like going, now you're contractually stuck with your abuser, right? Like, here's how bad it is. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant, but when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And, and, and just, again, humanize it for a second. I understand this. Again, it reminds me of Handmaid's Tale, right? Where June in the story begins to be really nasty with the commander's wife because she has what the commander's wife really wants, a child, Right? But she's bitter. She's angry. I've been used. So here she is with Sarah. Like, are, are, are you jealous now? Are you hurting now? Who's really the mother of your husband's child? Me or you? Right? She feels violated. So now she's willing to violate in return. She has been used. So she wants to inflict wounds. Totally a normal human trait. You wounded me. I'm going to wound you. That's the story of wounding. So it's like, you jealous. you angry. Do you regret your decision? Ha, i'm gonna hurt you back because you've hurt me but again i keep the whole story in perspective she didn't ask for motherhood right this was forced upon her and so with this she just wants to inflict damage her story's painful but it's going to get harder verse five then sarah said to abram this is all your fault not great I put my servant in your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. This is insane to me, all right? Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. There's so much to unpack here in so little time, right? So much is going on there. Because think about this. In the modern world, if this was like Steve and Sarah next door, and this is what happened with their babysitter, right? You would listen to this and you'd be like, they're insane. They are tone deaf. They're deflecting. They don't even see their crime. They are putting on everybody else but themselves for their own problem. Like that is the insanity of this whole thing, right? And moreover, it's almost as though the victim somehow was sort of to blame. Have you heard that narrative before? Right? That's what's happening here. It, it, it's strange that the heroes of our faith are sometimes the most deplorable people. But, but that is Abram. In fact, one of the things, probably the narrative that most drives me in my Christian faith is the promise that God makes to Abraham. In you I will bless all the nations. I will bring flourishing to the world through your line. But I'll be honest, Abram is one of my least liked characters in the Bible, personally. He sex traffics his wife twice, and he does this with the slave girl. Not a quality guy, by a lot of accounts. He's just not, if we're honest with his character. But God still uses messiness. He uses very flawed people. And sometimes these stories bring out the worst of human nature to show why we so desperately need the grace and forgiveness of God. So this woman, she's forced into motherhood through rape, basically. She's the victim. She's treated as guilty by those who have victimized her, and now she's homeless. She's on the run from her abusers because she can't take it anymore, and she's pregnant. She's carrying a child, right? Happy Mother's Day so far, I know. So, homeless, husbandless, without aid, without advocate, on the run and off the beaten path. Verse seven. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? Now, I love this little scene here because there's an irony, right? The question is really rhetorical. The angel of the Lord here, as we're going to learn, is actually God coming in this angelic type of form. And, and he knows so much already. Notice, he calls her by name. Right? Hagar, I know you. And I know who you're from. Y- you are owned by an abuser named Sarai. So I know where you come from. But it's almost like, and do you know where you're going on the run? Wounded and afraid, right? See, this is so good because he knows she comes from exploitation and abuse. She comes from a pregnancy that she wasn't seeking and she's going who knows where to go deal with who knows what. In other words, she's coming from helplessness and she's moving toward hopelessness because she hasn't packed her bags. She hasn't prepared and gotten ready. She's pregnant in the desert in a world that will exploit her and exploit her child when it's born. And this angel knows you are running into bedlam and mayhem if you keep going right now. You have no advocacy in this world. And so the angel is stepping in and saying, Hagar, I'm with you. I'm aware of you. I see you. Why don't you remember that? That's really the sense of things. But Hagar is in the moment, right? So she says, I'm running away. I'm running away from my mistress. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, and this is a tough one, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count now again in a moment of transparency this is a hard answer right as a pastor what i will never do is say go back to your abuser All right? Our, our leadership team would not say go back to your abuser but in this world you have to understand again the dynamics that are in play she is pregnant on the run with nothing And God isn't just sending her back because he's like, you know what? You just gotta go succumb to the abuse for the rest of your life. That's not it at all. In fact, here's the irony of it. God's sending her back for a season. And then you're going to see back in chapter 21 after the story moves forward a little bit that things get really bad again She's abused again by sarai because there's all this other family dynamic in play And yet what occurs in that is that then abram comes to hagar and outfits her for a journey Gives her food supplies and everything else and sends her away to her freedom So before she has nothing homeless and she'll probably die she comes back She gets outfitted with supply and she's then liberated which is fascinating because that's a parallel to a story that happens later when the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt and when they flee, they actually get outfitted by the Egyptians' wealth to make their freedom exodus. Here, Abraham outfits Hagar for her freedom with wealth so she can raise this child at the end. And so God knows what he's doing. Go back for a season and then you're gonna be released and you're gonna be way better off in the release, but it's gonna be hard. It's gonna take time. I've got a plan for your liberation, but It's going to be tough. So what you see is that God is already looking out for her needs, even in her loneliest moment. And he's preparing for her a protection, even though there's a risk involved. And he's doing that not just because she's a woman, but doing it because she's going to be a mother. Verse 11. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Ishmael, which means God years, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Now, here's what I love about this for moms. All of you moms in the room or moms watching, you named your kids, and what you didn't know in naming your children is embedded in their name, hidden to your eyes, is the name Ishmael. In other words, the Lord hears you in your motherhood as you're raising your kids, And which, by the way, I learned you never stop raising your kids, right? Your adult kids go through hard times, challenges, life struggles, and you feel it just as much as when they were two and they fell and skinned their knee, right? And so what it teaches us here and shows us is that you as a mom, as you're in the journey of things, God hears you. So when you're feeling overwhelmed, he hears you. When you're second-guessing yourself, he hears you. When you have doubts, he hears you. When you're like, why did I even have kids? He hears you. When when you're just struggling through decision-making, he hears you. When you're inflicting wounds on yourself as though you didn't do it right, you weren't good enough, you weren't in tune enough, other moms did it better, look at that family and their kids, how they turned out, and now you're crucifying yourself. He hears you. And like the angel, he's coming to your aid. He doesn't hear you and say, yep, that's right. No, he's coming to your aid to bring grace and love and care and concern and investment That's why he says, name him Ishmael, because I've heard you and your lament, your fear, and your grief. I've heard it all, and I'm with you in the scene. He feels with Hagar in this moment. He feels with all moms in their moment of hurt or crisis or challenge or confusion. And for Hagar, it's gonna be hard. The angel continues, verse 12. The son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fence against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. So you have been exploited into motherhood and the kid you have is gonna be a juvenile delinquent and a jackass. Yoo-hoo, motherhood, right? That's some tough mothering. But you know what I love about that? That's authentic. That's real, right? Like a lot of Mother's Day messages are like, you're a great mom, go get them. But this is what you really deal with sometimes, right? Your kids don't always want to go the route you're going. They don't always embrace your faith or values or perspectives in life. They have to choose their own way. They'll do things that break your heart, right? You can't control everything. You can't organize everything. Things will happen in their life and you just break down. You cry, you're sad. You cry out to God. You shake your fist. All that is there. And, and what is so good about what's happening here is that God's letting her know in advance, I know your road, and I hear you. I know what this child is going to be like, and I hear you. And here's maybe an anecdotal part why I think this is so good. Because so often, and I think particularly for moms, when, when a child then goes the road of Ishmael here a little bit, the first thing the mom does is says, What did I do wrong? Where did I mess up? What should I have done differently? Was it that I did disposable diapers instead of cloth? Right? Did I do them too tight and cut off blood flow? You know, what was it? Should I, I, I did formula. Should I have breastfed? I did breastfeeding. Should I have done formula? Should I have supplemented in some way? Oh, I should have put them in Montessori. That's what it was. If I would have, instead of that preschool, I should have done Montessori. Right? Should have done sports. Shouldn't have done sports. No video games, too many video games, no screen time. Should have taken them to the therapist. Oh, I should have said yes to that medication. Should have said no to that medication. Right? All kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. Should have picked different friends for them. We should have moved when I saw this. Should have tried to reorganize their teachers. And, and then what, what, what was my diet when I was pregnant? Was I eating good? Was I eating bad? I had that one glass of wine that's, you know, whatever it is. Right? Like mothers will crucify themselves over the free decisions of their kids, right? As though they did something wrong. It's so tragic, and it can be so lonely, right? Thoughts, fears, regrets. But that's what I love about what this angel's doing here. He's getting ahead of the narrative. Before this child's even been born and broken her heart, this angel saying, I know you, I hear you, I know your son, I know what it's going to be like, and I'm in this with you. I'm in this with you, right? Because again, notice, he knows who she is, he knows where she's from, he knows where she's going, he knows exactly how her motherhood situation began, and he knows exactly who her son will be, and in all of that, what he's saying is again, I'm walking this journey with you. I'm in this with you, and I have a plan that's going to be caring and invested and ultimately redeeming. And he's not here judging her. He's aiding her. He's not guilting her. He's guiding her. And therefore, it says in verse 13, it says, Hagar used another name to refer to God at this point, the God who had spoken to her. So again, it's not just an angel. It's God. She said, you are the God who sees me. L. El Roy. You're like, Elroy, I can remember that. All right. The God who sees me. Your God is Elroy, moms. As much as he hears you, he sees you. He sees you in your good, he sees you in your grief. He sees you in your faith, and he sees you in your fear right? He sees you in your sense of regret, and in your regret that is so often imposed on yourselves, he still extends grace to you and says, no, you gotta stop beating yourself up. I am, again, in this with you, doing it through you, and I'm going to reward you for your efforts. Because he sees you, he loves you, he feels with you and for you. And then what's great is that little end part, where then Hagar says, I have seen the one that sees me. Here's maybe a slightly different way to say that. What she's saying is, I see with the same eyes the one that sees me, or I see me as that one sees me. Right? Because moms can see themselves through, through their own eyes, which is usually pretty critical. Right? And, and what she's saying is, oh, I, I, I now see me as God sees me. I see the one who sees me. That changes perspective. Moms need to see their lives as God sees their lives, perfectly, clearly, graciously, and beautifully. And I get it. Moms are going to have their own doubts, their own hurts, their own frustrations, their own fatigue. But maybe go back to the story of Hagar and just remember that God says, I hear you. I see you. I'm with you. I'm going to empower you and grow you because I love you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I bring all the moms before you today, all the future moms before you today, and I just ask that they would sense your rest and your strength and your grace as they navigate the challenges of life. Oftentimes, motherhood is a great blessing, lots of fun, smiles, joy, life-giving to life, kind of groomers and growers of the life to come. Like, all of that's in there, but boy, there are times. Of hardship and hurt and doubt. And in all of it, we look to you to comfort and to guide and to bless. We bring the mothers to you now in your name. Amen.